love him. You are so blessed. You have a home. You have chairs that you're sitting in. You're comfortable right now. Most of us have got way more food than we need. We've been blessed. I want you to worship him and give him some praise this morning. Let him know how thankful you are. God, you're more than good to us. You are mighty and wonderful and great. We thank you for the privilege to be able to serve you, Lord. Oh, thank you, God, for this day, for this service, for what's going on in this church. I praise you, God. I honor you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Once again, we feel the presence of the Lord in, in this church house. And I hope you're feeling what we feel when we come and worship the Lord. I think it's getting close to three weeks now. And uh, since we've had a church service here, and uh, well, we're having a church service, but a big one, bigger, bigger church service. And uh, I'll tell you what. The Lord has been so good. I have uh, so much to be thankful for. And I hope and pray that every one of you are doing well. All of our church members, we pray for you every day. And we're asking God to protect you. Remember <clears throat> that this situation is not forever. This too shall pass. Thank you for listening and participating in this podcast. Last Sunday, we had over 500 viewers here, and I was, I was just elated. I thought, wow, uh, that was so good. But you know what elated me more than that? On Wednesday night Bible study, we had over 500 listeners again. So I don't know who you guys are, I don't know who it is listening. I don't know what nation you're from, what state you're from, what city. But whoever you are, you've honored us by uh, choosing to click on our webpage and listen to our podcast. Uh, the only thing about that is you're putting me under a lot of pressure. I'm starting to feel like uh, I'm under pressure to produce and I know that when so many people are listening, I do want to be a blessing. I truly do want to be a blessing. I'm doing this. I pray, Lord, help me to always do what I do for the right motives. And I pray that I can be a blessing and help somebody. I, I do think that God will use this time to make each of us better if we allow him. And so please make sure that you do get better instead of bitter in this time of confinement. And uh, just make sure you keep your attitude and your spirit right, your praise coming out. God is not going to be too impressed with us complaining and griping. I promise you, he just, he's not going to like it. So I need to be a praise giver. I need to be a uh, thankful individual, and I am. I'm very thankful, and that's what we all need to do. Make sure that um, you tune in to God Monday night. 
We don't have a podcast. We don't have a service, but it's our uh, first Monday family prayer at 7 o'clock. And make sure that you take time for that. If you feel like you need to get out of your house, here's a good opportunity today. 6.30 to 7.30, a lot of people are going to the youth, uh, UT Health Tyler parking lot and across the street at the tower. And they're asking you to turn on your lights and are your flashers and sit there and pray for all of the hospital staff, doctors and nurses uh, that are giving and time and dedicating their lives to help other people. So if you want to get out of the house, it could be a good opportunity to go spend a few minutes prayer and just sit there with your lights on, your windows rolled up, you're not breathing on anybody or touching anybody. I think our government would be okay with this. But just go turn on your flashers, turn on your lights, even blink your lights. There's a shift change going on about that time, and there'll be a lot of doctors and nurses and staff that will see that and let them know you're praying for them and that you appreciate what they're doing. Last week I said, be thankful for what you do have and don't complain about what you don't have. This week, I'm encouraging you by saying this. Don't gripe about how much the doctors and hospitals make. Don't gripe about their money. Be thankful that they are dedicated doctors and nurses and hospital staff that are willing to risk their lives in order to help those that are sick. I want to pray right now for them. God, I now pray that and I ask you to bless and protect our doctors and our nurses and our health officials around our world for what they're doing, the sacrifices they are making. Let your angels count round about them and protect them. I plead the blood of Jesus Christ over them. Give them strength and energy and wisdom. Guide them and let this virus not enter their bodies or harm them in any way. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. Bless our doctors and nurses and hospital staff and health officials, people that are working around our world uh, to make us safe. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, praise singers, Brother Cruz, and, and our music department, our staff. Uh, we, we're on a skeleton crew, but they're sounding good. I tell you, I appreciate your dedication. I want to turn your attention to the Word of God today. I'll be reading from Psalms 27, 4, and also Genesis chapter 3. Psalms 27, 4. Are you looking for your phone? It's laying right here on the, on the floor. Do you need it for your Bible? <laughs> Whose phone is it? Is that yours? You want it? Okay. I'm going to move it where I won't step on it. <laughs> I looked down and saw that phone there. Somebody says, oh, he just touched somebody else's phone. I took care of it right there. I just mashed the button and got me some 
sanitizer. Uh, Psalms 27 and 4. And again, thank you for tuning in. I hope the Lord blesses you today. Verse 4 says, One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And then in Genesis chapter 3, a different setting altogether, verse number 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. I want to talk to you on this subject tonight or this morning, seeking desirable desires all of us have desires in our minds in our bodies in our lives we have desires you were created with desires but you know i can say i have a desire but that's not necessarily a good thing i want my desires to be desirable to god i want god to be pleased with the things that I desire, the things that I put before my eyes and the things that I think on, the way that I live my life. I want my desires to be desirable to God. Everybody say, God bless the word. You can be seated. All of you that are standing at home, you can be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of the word. You say, are they really doing it? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. They are. I know personally some of them stand up because they respect the Word of God so much. Before God ever created the first man and woman, He knew that humans would crave and desire and run after things that are not, not rightfully theirs. Before God breathed that first breath, of life into Adam. He already knew that humans that he was creating would desire forbidden fruit and off-limit relationships. That's why he gave us the 10th commandment. Exodus 20 and 17 says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. We live in a world that is constantly trying to pull us toward the pleasures that we see and notice that are so easily acceptable to us in this life. 
Only a spiritual growing Christian can have the power to resist the enticements of possessions, security, possessions and pleasure of fleshly stimulations that come from the world. In your mind, if you could ask for one desire today to be fulfilled in your life, do you know what you would ask for if you could have that one desire? Now, don't answer too quickly because there's a long list of things that we could ask for. We could ask for financial stability. We could ask to find that love of my life. We could uh, ask to be popular, to become highly educated, or to have that perfect tin body. Maybe even ask for peace and joy, to have more wisdom, a greater relationship with God, and the list could go on for a long time. So what would you ask for if you were given one desire? All of us know and realize how powerful the world's influences are on our thoughts, our actions, our desires, our relationships with people, and our relationship with God. This persistent pull of the world is having a devastating effect on Christians today. And many are finding it so hard to distinguish themselves between what is socially accepted and what is biblically permissible. Too many people allow these desires to control and order their footsteps in their lives. We need to ask the Lord to help feed our spiritual na nature, to help it grow while depriving that sinful nature of its appetites because all of us do have problems with our flesh. Can I hear an amen? All of us have to battle things in our mind. All of us have the temptations of this life. And I don't care how old you are. I don't care how much you go to church. You're still going to be tempted. You're going to have trials. You're going to go through some things in this life. And that's why it's so important that we get desirable desires in our life. There was a man by the name of Garrett. He was founder of Garrett Snuff. And I think my, my deceased great or grandmother would probably be one of the men that helped him get where he was because she dipped snuff. And uh, this man became a multi-million dollar uh, and a fortune that he accumulated because of this snuff. And when he learned that he was dying, he asked only one thing of his wife. He said, honey, 
you need to go make sure that you draw up a will for our fortune after I die. I don't know why he didn't go ahead and do it himself. He put the responsibility and the pressure on his wife to draw up this will. And he said, since we have no children, everybody is going to try to get your money. So please, honey, draw up a will. You can have it all given to charity if you desire to do that. It's your money. Just don't let any of the money get into the hands of those sorry, conniving, no-good relatives of ours who have always been trying to mooch off of us all of their lives. But after his death, she had no will drawn up, and years later, at the age of 81, Henrietta Garrett died in her Philadelphia home at the night of November 16, 1930. She left behind about $17 million. That's a pretty good hunk of change, even in today's society. I doubt anybody sitting here or listening to me would turn down that type of inheritance. She had the time, she at the time of her death, only one known relative was a second cousin, and she had less than a dozen friends that were still living when she died. But at the news of her death, the vultures started coming around. It wasn't dozens of people. It wasn't even hundreds of people who claimed that they were entitled to some of the estate. It was literally thousands of people coming for that inheritance. In fact, to date, there, uh, there were more than 26,000 people from 47 of the United States and uh, states in the United States and 29 foreign countries that claim to be a relative of Mr. and Mrs. Garrett. Over the course of time, more than 3,000 lawyers had been employed on this case. In their efforts to get some of this money, alleged relatives and friends have gone to the trouble of lying. They committed perjury. They forged family records. They altered church records. They even literally changed their names legally and concocted all sorts of stories trying to prove that they were heirs to the Garrett estate. Twelve of them were fined. Ten were sent to jail. Two of them committed suicide. Three have been murdered. And in the meantime, the state had grown to about $30 million. Settling this state took years because every claim had to be investigated. In 1937, Henrietta's body was exhumed from the grave to confirm 
that there was no secret compartment or hidden will in her coffin that they had missed. And in 1951, the will was finally settled. Workers went to Henrietta's house on 9th Street with orders to destroy and smash everything of value in that house, including the Rosewood piano. Administrators had decided that nothing could be sold lest some buyer later may use this item to claim a relationship to the family and make a new claim on the fortune. So they destroyed everything, the house, everything, and the fragments were loaded into seven wagons and transported to a lot outside the city and burned. All of that happened because somebody allowed their desires to get out of control. It's amazing what people will do when their desires get all out of order. When we start allowing our desires to get out of the control of God, we will find out that our lives are on course for destruction. Have you ever wondered why we enjoy wrong things? Have you ever wondered why do the things that are so bad for you taste so good? And why can't the bad things taste bad and the good things taste good? Why can't ice cream taste like carrots and broccoli? And why can't carrots and broccoli taste like ice cream? Why can't lying on the couch and eating chips and dip build muscles and get you in shape and then exercising make you fat and lazy? Why doesn't work make you lazy and sleep make you more tired? We don't understand those things of life. Have you ever asked yourself the question, what makes me want to do the things that I can't do? And you know it's the truth. All of us have battled that in our lives. We've had to deal with that all of our lives because we know there's some things we should not do. And yet sometimes that's the things we want to do. Why do I have a hard time doing certain things and some are just so easy? Why can't I do what's right? Why do I do what I do? Paul also struggled with this. He wrote a portion of Scripture I think is one of the most confusing portions of Scripture I've ever read in my life. Every time I read it, I go, what? It's like it goes over my head and I miss the point. He said, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I? If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that is good. Now then, it is no more that I do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is to present with, is present with me, but how to perform that 
which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. I read that sometimes and I just, I, you know, I get the gist of it, but it's just the way he said it. I just don't know if he's doing or not doing. I don't know. I, sometimes I just don't get it all, but I do understand what he's saying. Because there's a lot of times in growing up that I wanted to do things that I shouldn't have done. I grew up in a, in a traditional Pentecostal church, and my mom and dad uh, were Gestapo agents. They were Nazi uh, soldiers. They were so hard on me. They made me go to church. They made me be faithful. They forced me to do those things that I didn't want to do sometimes. Oh, I enjoyed going to church and feeling the presence of God and being around the people. But I didn't like the discipline of them telling me there's things that I cannot do and shouldn't do. And I found myself wanting to do those things that they told me I couldn't do. If it's true that we sometimes do what we really don't want to do, there must be something that lies beneath the surface that drives us to do it. Some ulterior, ulterior motive, some hidden drive, that thing that lies beneath is our desire system. So how do I transform my desire system into desirable desires? How do I make myself want to do the things that are right and not want to do the things that are not right? How do I make godly decisions and make right decisions and live my life pleasing in a way that God would accept it? Psalms 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart this means that God will give us desires of our heart but notice the desires come after you delight yourself in the Lord when you begin to love him and delight yourself in him, honey, you're going to see God show up and be there and teach you how and show you how and lead you down the right path so that your desires will become desirable. You will get the desires of your heart. The human mind is so complex and efficient that your subconscious mind will work at your bidding. The goals of your heart, even your conscious mind, may not be aware of it. But every time you choose a priority, you are determining what is truly important 
to you. Your heart will naturally drift to what is most important to it. I've come to realize that it doesn't always matter what you pray for as much as it matters what you desire. You can pray shallow, meaningless, faithless prayers, but what your heart desires, it will go after. You have to make sure that your desires are pure because if you're not, you will find yourself getting on a road that leads to destruction. And so here are three things that you can do to change your desires. Number one is pure and simple. Just fall in love with Jesus. Somebody here today that's listening to me, it's time that you get serious about your love life with God. It's time that you start putting him number one in your life and let him be your desire. We desire to please those that we love. Psalms 40 and 8 says, I desire to do your will, oh my God. Your law is within my heart. God's law is not something that we have to follow to keep us right. His law is something we put in our heart because we love him. Psalm 73 and 23, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. John said, if you love me, Jesus said, you will obey what I command. Jesus said that obedience is a natural symptom of love. If you love somebody, you don't mind obeying them. A lot of husbands like to use that and kind of make their wives a love slave. But I'm telling you, Jesus said if men would love their wives as Christ loved the church, you wouldn't have to worry about your wife loving you back. If you loved her right, husband, you wouldn't have to hound her all the time. I'm the boss. I'm the boss. I'm in charge. I'm the leader. I'm the man of the house. I'm wearing the pants around here. You wouldn't have to do any of that if you just love her right. Boy, that's good teaching. Thank you, whoever said that. Number two, put God on the throne of your heart. Put him there over your marriage. Put God on the throne over your career, over your money, over your thinking, over your living, whatever you desire to be. We are all slaves to whatever sits on the throne of our lives. If Jesus is not on the throne, there's something there that shouldn't be there and that thing will have influence over your life. And that's why it's so important that you get rid of anything that is a stumbling block and say, Lord, you are number one in my life. 
I want to serve you like you said for me to serve you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Don't just put God there with your mouth. Put him there with your commitment. Don't just say he's first and then live your life like he's last. Put him number one on your throne. Let him be the Lord of your life, the Lord of your thinking, the Lord of your household, the Lord of your marriage, the Lord of your finances. Let him be the Lord of your health. Let him be your provider. He's everything if you'll just let him be. You've got to allow God. The third thing is you've got to allow God to transform your perspective. A godly perspective is essential for godly desires. In order for us to desire the right things, we must see the right things. You won't see it. It won't be a desire. Paul was a man of passion. Whenever he set his mind to do something, Paul was earnest enough to bring it into reality with fervor. Even when he was doing wrong, he had passion. Before his Damascus experience, he was passionate about persecuting Christians and stopping Jesus Christ and that movement. When Jesus opened his eyes and turned his heart around, he began to preach Jesus and him crucified with passion. When he was put in prison, he couldn't preach anymore. He started writing with passion. And that's why, my friend, we've got most of the New Testament written by a man in prison because he was passionate about the God that he was serving. I'm telling you, if somebody will get passionate for God during this hard times that you're in, during this virus, during our confinement, somebody can get passionate about God and some great, wonderful, mighty things can come out of this and we can see good, uh, bad turned into good, good things will happen into you and your family during this time. If you don't just sit around and get in a pity party, but you start getting passionate about the kingdom of God. Get passionate about your church. Get passionate about God. Get passionate about your experience. Because when your desires get where they need to be, they're going to be desirable to God. Somebody say amen. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. Thank you for standing. His heart desire was salvation of his own people, the Jews. Paul was a Jew, but his ministry was strongest toward the Gentiles. He must have understood that for a Jew to have any dealings with those outside their faith was considered blasphemous. The Gentiles were considered unclean, unsaved, unholy, and undesired. Yet Paul had a passion that all men, regardless of race, culture, gender, age, would be saved. 
Just think about the frustration that must have existed in the heart as he would preach to these strangers, these outcasts, these downtrodden, these that uh, thousands were coming to Christ and those in his own family and his own culture, his own race were not accepting it. They were denying it. They were working against it. But Paul kept on preaching. And then even got a hold of Peter. Peter had to have a dream. But God confronted him in a dream to let him know that what I've made clean, let no man call common. Let no man judge and condemn what I'm trying to do in this day. And I'm telling you right now, in this world, there are people listening to podcasts all over this world. And I want you to be stirred up. I want you to be shaken. I would like for somebody to give me a call and say, I'm ready to get baptized in Jesus' name. I'm ready to get that Holy Ghost you're talking about. I'm ready to get saved. I want to be born again. And I'm telling you, it can happen right there in your home. It can happen right now. You don't have to wait uh, a year or six months or three months. You don't have to wait any longer. You can get the Holy Ghost right there in your home. You can get baptized right there in your bathtub. We did it to my 90-year-old great-grandmother uh, right before she died and did it to my Aunt Buna that had never been baptized in Jesus' name, but she had the Holy Ghost. And when we baptized her, she came up out of the water speaking in tongues, and she said, it does make a difference. It does make a difference how you baptize. When you get baptized in the name, you have become one of God's children. You have taken on the name of authority. You have signed up. You have got your name on the roll when you're born again of water and of spirit. Mark Twain is quoted as saying, most people are bothered by those passages in the Bible which they cannot understand. But as for me, I always notice that the passages in the Scripture which trouble me the most are those which I do understand. His statement is a commentary of this passage, and the question is, what are we going to do about what we see and what we know to be the truth? What is your biggest desire in your life? What are the things you think about the most in your life? Many times we don't think about this question, but it's one that we as believers need to think about to face it. We need to make choices in our life. Ultimately, it comes down to two choices, and they are to live worldly or to live godly for Jesus Christ. Galatians 5, 16, I say, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, 
and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another so that you do not do the things that you wish. So we shouldn't find it strange that the flesh wants to cast its vote when it comes to the issue of pleasing itself. Some people will try to convince you that we are born inherently good and moral. However, the scripture tells us that each one of us is born in sin and shapen in iniquity. And to prove this, you don't have to look very far. Just take a stroll down to a toddler's room and remove all the toys except one and they are playing with and you will see a war start you will see calamity you will see trouble in the first degree when you take the toys away and there's only one that can be had we live in a country that has been abundantly blessed we are the most affluent society that this world has ever known yet our affluence is not having its desired effects few people in america both christian and non-christian are truly joyful we are not excited and passionate or happy about our lives. Few people in America are content. We want more. We convince ourselves that we got to have more. We don't have everything that we want. And so we start complaining to God. And God appears to be stingy rather than generous. I'm here to tell you that God wants to bless his church. He wants to bless his faithful people and if we'll ever get our desires right in the kingdom of God get ready if we're going to see an outpouring of blessings we're going to see an outpouring of revival we're going to see the churches grow we're going to see great things happen we're going to see miracles and wonders when we get our desires pleasing to God when we compare ourselves to others we look to see what they have and what we don't have we don't ask what they need that I can help them acquire. We get so caught up in what we don't have that we're blind to the needs of other people. God wants his church to be passionate. God wants us to be caring. God wants us to be loving. God wants us to be passionate about the things that he's passionate about and I'm telling you you listen to me today if you'll turn your passion on and get desirable desires God is standing on the threshold of his blessings he's holding it back I think he wants to open the door and pour out blessings on people but we gotta get our desires right we gotta start loving God right we gotta start loving people right we gotta start loving this beautiful message and this privilege that we have to serve the Lord in these last days if you're not time if you're not ready for the rapture it's time to get ready if you're not ready for the coming of the Lord it's time to get ready 
Honey, I don't know if you realize it or not. We're living in the last days. I never dreamed that what has already happened could have happened so quickly. We got to realize that we are living close to the coming of the Lord. It's time to get our desires right. It's time to please God. It's time to get the message in our heart. It's time to love the kingdom of God more than ever. It's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to turn around and seek God. Turn from our wicked ways. Repent and give God the praise and the honor and glory that He needs. Would you stand with me? And all of you that are home, I'm telling you, I want you to think about what I'm preaching here today. I want you to think about what God's trying to speak to us. I feel very strongly what I've said today, that God wants our desires to be uh, desirable. He wants us to please Him. He's doing everything He can to stir us up. I'm not saying God sent this virus, but I'm telling you God wants to use it. I truly believe that God wants us to humble ourselves and think about what's happening around us. I'm not going to blame God for this, and I'm not going to blame a certain person. I will say that it happened, and the blame doesn't have to be on anybody, but the blame will be on me if I let this opportunity pass me up and I don't draw closer to God. If I don't get close to God, if I don't turn around and make things right I will be the biggest fool that ever walked in shoe leather I will be a very foolish person to sit and listen to podcasts like these and to feel the presence of the Lord and not humble myself and repent and turn from my wicked ways if I don't get down to business with God now when will I this is a golden opportunity for you today to fall on your knees right there at your home. Turn around and get down on your knees and say, God, I gotta have help. I gotta have something in my life that's substantial. Something that's gonna make a difference. I want my desires to be right. I wanna get rid of all this foolishness that I'm doing. All these things that don't matter and get down to business with you, God. I want my life to be right. I want my spirit to be right. I want to go to heaven. I don't know how long it's been since you said this, but you need to start saying this. God, I want to go to heaven. I want to go in the rapture. I want to be saved. You got to tell it. Jesus said one time, you have not because you ask not. I'm not telling you to ask him. I'm telling you to just go ahead and tell him. I'm planning on going to heaven with you. I'm planning on being saved. I'm planning on going in the rapture. And the only way you can do that, my friend, is to get your desires right. Get your life on track. Let this time get you serious about living for God. Because if you want to, God will reach out to you right now. I believe there's somebody praying right now. You're seeking the Holy Ghost. Why don't you just go ahead and pray through? You begin to speak in tongues. You can receive the Holy Ghost right there in your home. You say you're passionate, brother. Yes, I am. I'm stirred up because we've got an opportunity here to get serious. We're, we're, we're sitting quiet and we're sitting without a lot of pressures on us. We got 
time to think about it. We need to do a self-analysis. We need to look in the heart and we need to make sure we're right with God. And you're the only one that can do that. You don't have a pastor that can come by and lay hands on you and pray for you right now. You don't have a pastor that can come by and can, uh, encourage you or somebody on the staff or in the church uh, to encourage you and, and, and to bring you along. You're just going to have to get up and take it yourself. Take authority. Take authority over your life and say, God, i got to have your help. And once you fall in love with Jesus and put him on your throne, It'll make all the difference in the life, the life that you live. It'll make all the difference in your future. Somebody is going to get right today because of this service. Somebody's hearing me today. I pray God let them hear. Let them hear what we're saying today. Let the Holy Ghost go into your home. I wish somebody just go ahead and pray through right now. Get the Holy Ghost. If you do, go ahead and let us know. Call my number. Call the church number. Put it on our... Let us know if you get the Holy Ghost. Let us know. We want to rejoice with you about it. Somebody wants to get baptized, we'll arrange it. Give us a call. We want you to get ready. And the only way to do it is get your desires desirable with God. God bless you.